0: Lock and load. This is Steve Dace, the
1: Steve Dace Show. And greetings, happy Monday. Yes, we made it back safely from South Dakota. I was beginning to wonder about this time yesterday whether that was going to occur or not. Steve Dace here with Todd and Aaron McIntyre, and all of you. First of all, no. Uh, No problem with the great people of South Dakota. We had a great time up there last uh, this past weekend. Uh, Phenomenal conference that they kept calling a rally. And I don't know if it's because they legally had to do that or that was the official title. But I mean, it looked like a conference to me. Uh, But uh, I mean, just a great group of people. Salt of the earth, man. And. There's a lot, got to see Mount Rushmore for the first time. There's a lot more up there than I recognized, than I realized. I mean, there's, it's a little mini Branson. Now, th- the season's still not open yet. So a lot of this stuff, the wax museums and all this stuff weren't open yet, you know, but there, I mean, th- that's a real vacation spot other than, look, kids, Parliament, you saw, you saw it, right? And, um, Uh, I got a chance to go up to Mount Rushmore, take some great photos, uh, hear some good speakers, um, talk to some really good salt of the earth people. I mean, weekend away, had a great time. And then there was the commute on the way home yesterday. You know, and I should have known. So there's no Uber in Rapid City, South Dakota, despite all the tourists that it attracts. You can't Uber. There's a Lyft, but I was told it's wholly unreliable. So the conference arranged for someone to take us back and forth from the airport, right? And so Sunday morning we go to leave. Driver's a great guy. I felt so bad for him, you know, and and it's almost as if um, he was being smited. So we get uh, we get in the middle of the trip to the airport, and he says, "Hey, can I just ask you a question on the left field, right?" I said, "Sure, why not?" And he goes, uh, "So I mean, are you would you consider yourself pre mill or post mill?" Oh, I kid you not. About 30 seconds after he asks me this, we're going down the main drag of Rapid City and the car stops. And I gave it to Carl Lewis. Uh oh. <laughs> <All right.
0: laughs>
1: Almost like he was being punished for asking Steve Davis an eschatology question. And I'm like, something wrong with the car? I mean, it's, it looked like a brand new car. He's like, you guys aren't going to believe this, man. I've been driving around so much and I just forgot to check the gas tank. We're out of gas. In my entire life I've never run out of gas. So I mean I guess I get to check that box. And I didn't know what to do, you know. It's it's only like 40 degrees up there and he's and so he's I'm guessing older than me. He jumps out of the car and just starts coasting it down the hill. Against the wind, <laughs> I mean, it's just, and there was, we had just passed a gas station, thankfully, and a nice couple pulled over and took him the rest of the way. But it was just like this surreal experience. We then get there. Apparently the TSA at Rapid City believes they're the Miami Vice, all right? And the guy looks about as old as Sonny Crockett. I mean, it's just, um, this guy, the the, the the TSA guy there, let's just say, I don't know that he's much of a deterrent. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Like, I think in between minimus body shots, I I don't know that he's going to do much to keep the bad guys away, but he made sure to go through every last article of clothing and lair in my wife's suitcase. He made sure to do that, man. He made sure to do that. So, Chester the molester, much. Uh, Then we get on the plane, and uh, our, our, well, if it's a male, is it a stewardess? Or is a steward? How does it work? Stewarder? How does that work if it's a male? That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. All right. So we had a male, I guess, stewarder. And all right, uh, we're landing in Denver. Okay, cool. All of a sudden, the, ca- the, 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 the captain comes on. Uh, we're actually landing in Casper, Wyoming. We've been rerouted. Apparently, the stewarder wasn't uh, told this. <laughs> We've been rerouted. They've shut the Denver airport down for th- for thunderstorms, and so we're on this little puddle jumper. So we don't have the gas to just kind of circle around and wait for the storm to clear. So they have we have to land, refuel, and of course they tell you it'll be you know twenty minutes, yeah. forty five minutes. How yeah. long do you think we were there? Two hours. Two freaking hours on the plane? Yes, yes, yes.
0: I demand a spinoff show from this called Traveling with Steve Dace. Yeah. Second. <laughs>
1: So we finally get to go back to Denver. And of course, because they shut the airport down, all the flights are also being delayed. So we think there's still a reasonable chance we'll catch our flight. We were wrong. Uh, And then they schedule us to uh, be on a plane that was actually out of commission. So props to United Airlines. And and when I posted about this on Facebook last night, the amount of people that, that posted on there... Uh, that's what you get for scheduling United Airlines. And then people say, well, that's why I don't schedule America Airlines. That's why I don't schedule Southwest. <laughs> Basically can't schedule any airlines. Start your own airline, Steve. Y- yes. All right. And so I've, I've got, apparently where they were unawares that this plane was out of commission. I have no idea. Okay. Uh, and so it's a three hour delay. Then they send us to one end of the airport. And what do you think happened? Well, we switched your gate to the other end of the airport. You guys ever been to the Denver airport? <laughs>
0: Yes, yeah. it's, it's yeah, rather it, Yeah, it's
1: it's yeah, it's not it, it's not what you would consider condensed. Yes, all right. And there was a moment we finally decided to go ahead and just grab uh, something to eat and have some dinner while we waited. And and I'm I'm just at the I'm at my wit's end. I'm not wearing a mask or anything anymore. I'm just tired of it. And a guy walks by, and he's giving me a look, and. I'm I'm thinking, you know, maybe I need to be the lead story on CNN tonight. Okay, you know what I mean. I, I mean, I'm i at my I'm at my I'm I'm not on a last nerve. There are no nerves left. I'm dead inside right now. I am dead inside. Okay, and I get up out of my chair, start heading over there, and the wife's like, you know, maybe he recognizes you. Maybe it's not what you think. Now, I think there's probably about a 5% chance at the most that's what it was. All right. Given that it looked like he was wearing a facial mask. All right. I mean, people rob banks with less than this guy had on his face. Okay. But that was enough to soothe the savage beast. I'm like, you know what? You might be right. That would be just my luck. Like, I don't mind going up the river for getting into a fight over a mask, but it would be just my luck it was actually just a guy who was a fan of the show. And it wasn't about the mask. Then it would so it wouldn't even be there wouldn't even be a point to it. It would just be dumb, right? So memo to self, i i better travel alone very infrequently from this time forward, given how messed up this is. Our buddy Bob Vanderplas is gonna join us in a, at the bottom of the hour. He called me in the airport he's like you're not home yet. I'm like, Really? Really? <laughs> he started telling me they were trying to fly back direct from Houston. Uh, they were doing some business in Houston over the weekend. And he'll tell us about some of it because some of it involved Ted Cruz here in a little bit. But uh, they got a flight out that would get him home at 11 o'clock. They didn't land back here in Des Moines until 8 p.m. So this is apparently systemic, like all over the place now. And yesterday was a day. How was your day? How was your day, Todd?
0: mowed the lawn, went to a couple soccer games. Yeah. All on time. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Aaron, how about you? I moved a bunch of stuff from a third floor floor apartment, but at least I was getting stuff done. Yes. So. That was a 13 hour commute. 13 hours.
1: Could I have driven to Rapid City, South Dakota and back in 13 hours? And back? No. No.
2: But to there?
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we're here. I'm feeling better, so that's good. On the show today, I mentioned Bob Vanderplas is going to be joining us. He'll be telling us about his visit with Ted Cruz, kind of the the forgotten presidential candidate, actually, with all the focus on Trump and Ron DeSantis and uh, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott. So we'll talk to his uh, to, to Bob about his visit with Ted Cruz coming up uh, at the bottom of this hour. Next hour, it is our Facebook Ask Me Anything. For the monday town hall we look forward to that but before of course we delve into any
2: of that here is aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away What happened while we were away brought to you by a story nobody saw coming. The CDC and the American Federation of Teachers colluded in order to keep your kids from going back to school in person. That's according to a bombshell yet all too predictable expose from the New York Post. The Post cites emails obtained via a Freedom of Information Act request by the watchdog group Americans for Public Trust. The emails show correspondence between CDC Director Rochelle Walensky, American Federation of Teachers Brass, and figures in the White House regarding changes in language the teacher union desired ahead of the infamous school reopening guidelines released in February by the CDC. In at least two instances, language quote-unquote suggestions offered by the union were adopted nearly verbatim into the final text of the CDC document. The AFT and its affiliates have long been one of the most reliable and deep-pocketed donor constituencies of the Democratic Party, dropping almost $20 million dollars to elect party members during the 2020 election cycle checking in on biden coronavirus advisor dr michael osterholm who was interviewed by a minnesota radio host how will we know when this pandemic
1: is done
3: you know chad with all honesty i I can't answer that question myself. I think about it a lot.
2: Checking in on Joe Biden. We were when I was vice president with Barack. He allowed me to put
3: together a budget for Amtrak, and it had money for high-speed rail at 200 miles an hour from from uh, uh, char. Excuse me, from Charlotte. One another line going from in Florida down to Tampa. Another line if we, if we had moved, Gov. We'd have that tunnel fixed in New York
2: now. Checking in on Joe Biden, part two... For those of you listening, what we're watching is the president of the United States haphazardly looking for his mask after an outdoor speaking engagement in Georgia.
3: Looking for my mask. I'm in trouble.
2: Speaking of wearing masks outdoors, Biden says he'll continue to shirk CDC guidance and
3: double mask outdoors. You and I took our mask off when I came in because look at the distance we are. But if we were, in fact, sitting there talking to one another close, I'd have my mask on and I met you'd have a mask, even though we've both been vaccinated. It's a patriotic responsibility for God. Sake. America,
2: yeah. Mark of the Beast update: Biden coronavirus advisor Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel laments the Biden administration isn't creating a national database of vaccinated Americans with QR codes. There's no easy solution here, but I do think uh, not doing a national database where by the QR code you can actually get in, having that be done by a not-for-profit making sure it won't be commercialized, I think that would have been the right way to go. Amazon is bringing its palm-reading payment method to its Whole Foods stores in Seattle and is the first of many planned rollouts in other locations. Amazon One, which debuted in September and is currently in use in about a dozen Amazon physical stores, allows shoppers to pay for items by placing their palm over a scanning device.
3: (sighs) Terribly Terribly sad.
2: Terribly sad. Terribly sad. Checking in on Mitt Romney, who went home to Utah for a speaking engagement.
3: Now, you know me as a person who uh, who says what he thinks, and I don't hide the fact that I wasn't a fan of our last president's character issues, and I'm also no fan.
2: Checking in on Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who had this to say about critical race theory. Well, it's a bunch of horse manure. I mean, give me a break. This country uh, has had more opportunity for more people than any country in the history of the world. And it doesn't matter where you trace your ancestry from. Here's the problem with things like critical race theory that they're peddling. They're basically saying all our institutions are, are bankrupt and they're, they're illegitimate. OK, so how do you have a society if everything in your society is illegitimate? So it's a very harmful ideology. And I would say uh, really a, a race based version uh, of, of a Marxist type ideology. Creator of the 1619 Project and Curriculum, Nicole Hannah-Jones, says getting critical race theory out of schools is a violation of her free speech.
3: This is fundamentally a free speech issue. If you look at the rhetoric of uh, Senator McConnell and of state legislators all across the country that are trying to get bills passed to prohibit the teaching of the 1619 Project, it's not about the facts of history. It's about trying to prohibit the teaching of ideas that they don't like.
2: Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is No amendment to the Constitution is
3: absolute.
2: What could be seen as a bellwether election took place in the wealthy Dallas suburb of Southlake on Saturday, nine months after officials in the affluent Carroll Independent School District introduced a proposal to essentially enact critical race theory as public policy. Voters delivered a resounding victory Saturday to a slate of school board and city council candidates who opposed the plan. Candidates backed by the conservative Southlake Families PAC, which has raised more than $200,000 since last summer, won every race by about 70% to 30% including those for two school board positions, two city council seats, and mayor. Some political pundit and Navy veteran named Travis Akers tweets, History was made on Friday with the first ever all-gay U.S. Navy helicopter crew. Akers posted a couple of photos of Navy service members holding a rainbow flag in front of their helicopter.
0: (laughs) I'm in danger!
2: Daily Defiance, Elliot and his family shop at the covid stand, Virginia Target without a mask. In the infamous Broward County, Florida, Amy says, quote, Every week when I walk by the Homeowners Association Park, it's taped off and I tear it down. And that's what happened while we were away. Wow, there's a lot to get to in that montage. But first, let
1: us uh, tell you about uh, our friends over at Home Title Lock. You know, we've been warning you about home title theft, where cyber thieves remove you from your home's title and become the owner. We said to beware of data breaches that can expose information like name, address, personal info that allows them to identify as you online. Well, one of them just happened recently to Facebook. 500 million identities at risk uh, because uh, of Facebook being exposed to cyber thieves. They can now, with your identification, maybe log in as you, then forge your signature on a quick claim deed stating you've sold your home to them, leave you with the debt. Maybe even an eviction or foreclosure notice. That's why you want to make sure to take advantage of our friends at Home Title Lock and their protection. Go to HomeTitleLock.com right now. Register your address. Make sure you're not already a victim and don't yet know it. And then while you're there, sign up for 30 free days of protection during this high-risk breach. Again, HomeTitleLock.com, promo code radio. That's HomeTitleLock.com, promo code radio. All right, let's get to what is inside of Aaron's montage because boy howdy is there a lot there i'm just going to go down all of these and give a quick take and then i'm going to get find out what you guys think okay number 1 no one with an iq above 19 is shocked to learn that the teacher unions were responsible for a chart that came out from the cdc that said in the dead of january the only place safe for you to go back to school in person with extracurricular activities was International Falls, Minnesota. No one with an IQ above 19 is shocked to hear that news. We are shocked, however, that it was actually confirmed out loud in public that that was the case. I think we're shocked at that, but is anybody, anybody with half a synapse shocked to learn that a Democrat president is wholly and totally beholden to the teacher unions? No, Um, Michael Osterholm is adorable I mean I I love the guy that clip is so is Michael Osterholm first of all this guy is a dedicated uh, decorated scientist phenomenal scientist but he's really struggling this last year because he's a scientist and he figured out about July of last year y'all don't want that so he's been trying to figure out. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's, there's Michael Osterholm until about July 1 of last year. And then there's been Michael Osterholm ever since. And then sometimes the old Michael Osterholm will come out, like on the double mask thing, when he got asked about this. Do you guys remember this? He got asked know. about this after Fauci started talking about double masking. He gets asked about it. Now, he wasn't told it was a Fauci thing. He was just asked, hey, there's been some discussion about double masking or something. That's stupid. Don't do that. It doesn't work. And then like a day later when he finds out it was actually a Fauci thing, double masking's great. Okay? Michael Osterholm is not a media concoction like Anthony Fauci. This guy, is, this guy gets his hand... He's, he's, this guy doesn't sit there and just do media avails and banquets and sign books. That's what Anthony Fauci does. Th- this guy gets his hands dirty. He does real science. And that's why He's shattered. Right now, he's just broken. He's a broken vessel right now because he can't even. When does the pandemic end? (sighs) I mean, you could hear the gears grinding inside his head. He's thinking, well, I mean, we have normal scientific parameters, you know, herd immunity thresholds. um, And then, of course, there's uh, the combination of natural immunity with vaccination immunity. Um, and then, you know, we have long lasting T cell immunity, crossover immunity from right. You can you can hear the gears during that long, exasperated sigh in Aaron's clip. You can hear that inside that brain, there's a scientist that wants to come out. And then he's like, but his conscious like, dude, you work for the Biden administration. So he's like, I don't know, man, I got nothing. Couldn't tell you. It was like watching Andy Slavitt get grilled by Chris Cuomo, of all people, on CNN last week when he asked him four times, why do I have to wear a mask if I'm vaccinated? I love that clip. And all four times, Slavitt does not have an answer. Now, let me. here's the answer pre-July 1 of last year, Michael Osterholm would have given you. You know, when he was still pointing out that, you know, wearing a mask to stop an airborne virus is like trying to put a screen door on a submarine. That was his metaphor. Daniel Horowitz and I didn't come up with this. He did. That's the talk that he gave to the Chamber of Commerce guys in Minneapolis last year. And they're like, when can we stop going bankrupt here and reopen? And the Chamber of Commerce guys are like, well, what if we just have everybody wear masks? And Old Storm was like, dude, you, you can't put a screen door on a submarine and you can't put it on a mask to stop an airborne virus. Everybody's going to breathe. It doesn't work. Yesterday, or I meant at the conference I was at over the weekend, a young man comes up and talks to me at the dinner. He goes, I'm really struggling on pushing back against masks because every time I push back to, on somebody with masks that they don't work, they say, well, look at the success of Japan. So I just went and typed Japan COVID into my phone and handed him and showed him like the first three stories. And they're from like the New York Times, the Washington Post, not even from like our media services. Japan's uh, surge of cases may may see the Olympics get canceled again this year. And I just showed him, like oh, you need to show your buddies that. Okay? Because that's what Michael Osterholm was talking about until July 1 of last year. Michael Osterholm was writing in the pages of the Washington Post the first weekend uh, after Trump shut the country down. You can't use shutdowns to fight a virus. We, we can't shut our way of life down. He put out one of the first critical pieces of this. We've just, that's been memory hold. And so, I, I love watching him it's just adorable to watch it. Because he he there's a large part of him that wants to really I I think really wants to give you some science. But then the rest of him's like, you don't you don't want me to give you science. You guys want me to give you the show. So mask up outdoors for EVs, okay? I mean um but that clip that clip is one of our most decorated virologists in the United States, Michael Osterholm. That, that clip is what his entire last year has been in about 20 seconds. I don't know. <laughs> just, I love that clip. All right. The Joe Biden thing. Am, am I, I? I had an epiphany watching that. Where again, uh, Dementia Joe. Oh, no, Joe shows up, right? Is it just me or does this tend to show up more often when he is doing outdoor events? Stop and think about it anecdotally. When it's a formal indoor event, something scheduled that can mentally and physically prepare him, drug him for, um, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Uh, We don't see these sorts of slips nearly as often as when it's an outdoor event. And I wonder if it's because that's just a lot more um, ad-libbed. It's a lot more spontaneous. Keeping us lining him up for one interview or one debate is not the same as lining him up for an outdoor event. then you've got to get everything and everybody there coalesced on time. It just seems to me as you look over the last year and a half, we've seen a lot more of dementia Joe doing outdoor events than we have doing a scheduled interview or the like. Am I wrong on that? Just off of you guys' you know top of your. Memory
2: banks, am I onto something with that? I, I think the really severe kind of slip ups. Yeah, I, I think there's more of a propensity of that outdoors. That doesn't mean that it's not happening, happening indoors as yes. well. Because during the, I mean, uh, during the, the campaign schedule, he was doing number of interviews from his homes and uh, or home. I'm sorry for the uh from his home. And there was an equal number. I so maybe say, then it's ups. not
1: the it's not the locale. It's the it's the frequency.
2: Yeah beyond one event i would say it's the frequency yeah
1: where they can drug him uh i'm sorry uh prepare him properly beyond that that's now where the nature of whatever's going on inside his dementia
2: rattled brain just runs its course at that point because that was a big big end of the week for him wasn't it i mean he had the big address and then he went down to georgia and then he had this thing about the infrastructure lost his mask it's a whole thing yeah 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 talked about running a train from florida to tampa
1: I mean, I knew he was I'm old. I don't know him. if you remember when, like, Florida was a territory. I mean, wow, I mean, that. Whew. So he's well preserved. Uh, enjoyed watching Mitt Romney get booed. I wished it was about something other than not liking Donald Trump, but I at this point, I'll just take, I'll just take whatever I can get. Uh, but he should have been booed off the stage by the Utah GOP about ten years ago. But we'll take it now, I guess. Um, I love the NBC News framing of a bitterly divided electorate. In this uh, suburban district in Dallas, it was seventy percent was the vote. That that's that's bitterly divided now. So I'm I'm, I'm sure the other thirty percent is pretty bitter about losing. But if seventy percent is now a bitterly divided election, apparently. And then with with Ron DeSantis, and as we speak this morning, he is supposed to sign executive orders basically ending COVID stand in Florida even I've not read them yet but even largely on a local level and I what, what do you do you know we, we've been disappointed I, I told you guys this privately let me say it publicly without revealing who my sources are I, I was told by people who I trust a few weeks ago that they thought they told me hey pump the brakes on the DeSantis stuff because I think he's a little weak on the tranny stuff. You don't ever hear him talking about it and it's just some of the stuff we're hearing and observing and know about him. Just kind of watch that. And then last weekend, out of nowhere, uh, I mean, he he signs a bill there in Florida basically telling the, uh, the NCAA to go intercourse itself. And somebody else i know told me that that like he did like he was not gonna play in that pool this session and then when the threats from woke corporations came out and the ncaa threats came out that's when he was like hey uh put that uh, bleepity thing on my desk i'm signing it tomorrow okay what do you do with a candidate I've earned a reputation of being a, a bit of a harsh candidate vetter. Is that fair? Yes. Okay. Then I'll, I'll own it then. What do you do when a candidate checks all of your boxes? Like two and a half years before the primary actually starts. What, what do you, what do you do with that? Does, like he's already checked every box you want. What, what do you do with it? Do you know what you, what you do with that?
0: This is where you hit your Mikey likes it routine.
1: How much longer do you think the spirit of the age is going to tolerate this?
0: That's really the thing to me, because most people by now in a mature society, when the other side calls all your bluffs, right left versus left right, either way, yep, you you. You you walk away and you step back and you reload to fight for another day. This side perpetually is triggered by that. I, I'm I'm speaking just for myself now. I'm genuinely afraid that they are so psychologically and emotionally unstable. There's people out there whose only thought is going to be we have to hurt him. Like literally well,
1: I don't know. Hurt we him. we we saw one of those people a couple of years ago at a Virginia ball field. Yes, dude. So I mean I, I don't know that you're out on a limb, you know, but. I, I, here's. Can I give one piece of unsolicited advice along the lines of what you just said? Yeah. Man, I don't know what the security detail is for the governor of Florida, but whatever it is, I double it. Because I, I don't. You know, you're, you're you're dealing with a a force of malevolence. If you can't beat them, beat them. Right. So, I, I mean, we already saw this. We we saw a proto version of this at a Virginia ball field just a couple of years yes. ago. So I don't, I don't think this is an insane thing to be afraid of at all. So I, I, I really hope his security detail down there as governor of Florida is, uh, I mean, the dude is smashing shibboleths. He's not owning the libs. These aren't tweets. This is the
0: main point, yes. He's... Okay?
1: These aren't, even, these aren't even rhetorical devices that even move the ball down the field for us. He is, he is smashing shibboleths from a policy perspective. So, yeah, I, I, I think you're not crazy at all. Not just speaking for you when you say, hope that the guy has a great security detail. We'll come back. Our good friend Bob Vanderplats will join us here in a moment. We have been talking about Rough Greens for quite a while now. All right, this is the supplement powder that you mix in with your 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 dog's food because your dog needs supplements like we do because um, the same things happen to your pet's food that's happened to a lot of our food. A lot of the good vitamins, minerals, nutrients, etc. stripped out of our foods for mass production and consumption. Same thing goes with the pet's food. That's why a lot of what you buy for your dog is dead when it leaves the factory but uh, you might be wondering, hey, if I put this in my dog's food, will our dog like it as much as uh, as your dog does, Steve? Because our our dog, Cap, loves this stuff from Rough Greens. But if you're not sure, here's what we'll do for you. We'll give you the bag for free. One way to find out, you just pay for the shipping. Um, but we give you the bag for free, that first 14-day jumpstart bag uh, to try to uh, kickstart uh, a better health for your pet. We give you that bag for free right now to try it, see if your pet will like it at roughgreens.com that's how confident we are they will because we think you're going to come back for more and actually buy it all right so this bag is on us you just pay for the shipping at roughgreens.com r-u-f-f for roughgreens.com or give them a call 833 rough dog that's r-u-f-f 833 rough dog let's bring in
3: our good friend bob vanderplotz from the family leader good to see you, brother how are you I'm doing really well. After a little bit of rough travel, getting back from Houston, you getting back from Denver, I'm glad to be in Des Moines. So we have a poll question up. Uh, and we're going to discuss this
1: amongst ourselves more in depth in the overtime later today here at BlazeTV.com slash Dace. That's where we will post it for you. We'll record it right after today's program. And then if you're a Blaze TV subscriber, you can go there and watch it at BlazeTV.com slash Dace. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, use that exact same website. Go there, get a discounted subscription to Blaze TV today. But we're going to be discussing these poll results from our audience. We asked them this question. Do you want Trump to be the 2024 GOP nominee for a third straight election? Or would you prefer someone new? I believe this is the most voted in poll we have ever had with our Twitter following. And at least our Twitter following, for what it's worth, I would have figured this was closer to 50-50. But 63.5% said they wanted someone new. 36.5% said that they wanted Trump. Now... um, there's always going to be probably a stronger current of whatever's left of actual conservatives who are Trump skeptics. Uh, that That's probably going to be more represented in our Twitter following than some other people have did in a Twitter poll like that. So factor that handicap in. I don't think that number is as prevalent as it probably would have been two or three years ago. Todd, you think that's fair? Correct, But I don't think it's insignificant, though, no, either. No, no, so, no. so I think it should be factored into your analysis. And so when you do that, maybe the number is closer to
3: 50-50. But what's your thoughts on those results, Bob? I think they're pretty spot on. Uh, and the reason I say that is totally anecdotal is when Tim Scott gave his rebuttal to Biden's address to the nation. At least a lot of our followers, our people were commenting not so much about I'm just endorsing Tim Scott, but kind of like, it is sure good to be hearing somebody communicate the principles that we believe in, coming from a faith base, being conservative, not being woke, but also not being cruel or mean, and kind of like a fresh face. And I think it kind of reminded them is that there's more here than just President Trump. As much as you might have liked what President Trump did, there's more in in basically the lineup behind Trump. Mm-hmm. And so people are think, looking at that. Because it's not just about winning the primary, which I believe Trump would win. If Trump got in, I believe he wins the primary. But I think what that poll is showing you as well is that it's not just about winning the primary. You have to win the general election. And is Trump the right standard bearer for that third time to win the general election? I think a lot of America would be right there, about two-thirds saying, let's look for somebody new. One-third, let's stay home.
1: You know, just going through, in my memory banks, I don't think anybody has ever been the nominee of the Republican Party three times, or even let alone three consecutive times. Mm -hmm. And I would guess the only time someone has been the nominee of any party three major party three consecutive times would would it be FDR? I was going to say Franklin Roosevelt. Yeah, I mean, Um, you know, we 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 had a, a more it wasn't parliamentary in nature, but it was in terms of the amount of fractional political parties we had pre-Civil War mm-hmm. in the country from the founding to pre-Civil War. So maybe it kind of happened there, but or maybe somebody was the you know the 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 nominee of the Democrat, Republicans and then the homesteaders party
3: next mm-hmm. time or something. But in modern times, that's just not something that we see. You know, and I think this is something that President Trump is taking in right now. Uh, taking a look at whether it be your poll or other polls about what is the appetite for my third time? What's the appetite for me to be the nominee again? And can I have a legacy be, let's win back the Senate in 2022, let's champion somebody to win in 2024? Uh, we've said that before. Can his can his base be a movement for real good and real people who want to move the ball or if it has to be about Donald Trump? Then all of a sudden, if you don't win in 22, or if you don't win in 24, what happens then? I think he's factoring all of that in. All right. So
1: we talked about a couple of candidates last week with you uh, that could be, that are going to be vying uh, to step into that void if indeed Trump, uh, I'm sorry, Trump doesn't run again. Okay. So let you had a, you mentioned you were in Houston last week. Uh, you had a chance to visit with Ted Cruz, right? You bet. All right. So it, I'm fascinated with where he's at in this process because, I, I mean, i Next to Trump, he's going to have the largest national organization of any Republican in America, number mm-hmm. one. Um, number two, his name ID is even higher now than when he was a close runner-up for the nomination eight years ago, which it would be eight years ago in 2024. Um, and yet, he's kind of, in a way, been, I think, almost overlooked in this process between, okay, if it's not Trump, then, you know, who's the fresh... You know, new face, sure. but I mean, he he steps into the void with. Those are two formidable advantages, and you've heard me say for years: the number one factor in who wins primary elections is name ID. I I, I wish it was who gave the best speech or who had the highest score on the worldview assessment test, but having done this not just all over our state but all over the country, almost every time the guy with the highest name ID wins, almost every single time. Okay, so. What was your assessment after having a chance to visit with him and where he's at and where his candidacy could be?
3: Well, first of all, Senator Cruz is very gracious, welcomed me into his home. And uh, we talked about a lot of issues. So it just wasn't a 2024 visit, but it wasn't lost on him either. About 2024 is coming up. And he also understands, you know, there's a Trump factor here. If Trump gets in, it it can blow everything up. But if he doesn't, it's not lost on him that uh, his name ID is higher than anybody else that would come into the race other than maybe, say, a Mike Pence. It's also not lost on him about where his faves and unfaves rest with those who will be determined the next primary winner. And that's a whole different audience than that's going to be the general election. But his faves and faves are very strong. His name ID is very, very high. And I think something that can't be overlooked, Steve, he is going to have a platform on every major issue that the Biden-Harris administration puts out there to give the other side. A lot of the other people do not have that platform right now. They're either governors, which is a state platform, but it's not a national platform, or they're former officers like former vice president, former secretary of state. They don't have the natural built-in audience to have a national platform where Fox News says, I want you on or Newsmax or whoever else it might be. Those are all key assets for him to be looking at 2024. So disclaimer time. All
1: right. You know, I love me some Ted Cruz, you know, he's my buddy, you know, I love him. And it's why, um, you know, since 2016, we don't talk about him on this show very much. And that is on purpose uh, because I just, because it's uh, this audience is going to be well aware of our uh, prior working and personal relationship and so I can't win. You know, if he does something I don't like and I'm critical, sure. then it's it's disloyal. If, if he does something I like and I and I'm complimenting, well, you know, I'm shilling for my friend. So I can. So, you know, me, if I can't win a game, I tend to not play. <laughs> so, guys, I mean, guys, on a daily on a regular basis, he's probably the number one major political figure in America. We probably talked the least about on this show the last four years. Is that fair?
0: Yeah, when we bring him up, it's tangential to yep. a mm. major news story. And if I think
1: we like like we need to talk about him substantively, I will recuse myself and let them say whatever they want to say. Just because I can't win either way. Sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna violate this rule this one time because of this conversation. Okay. I I think there he has a real challenge to be the party nominee if Trump doesn't run. Ironically because republicans are likely going to have a good midterm next year and i think we all understand that given who those leaders so mitch mcconnell is now a majority leader kevin mccarthy is now speaker all right these people were terrible in the majority before they, they've been they're terrible in the minority they will be terrible in the majority before and I think a real challenge for him is he is he will have no position of leadership, but he will be the most Ted will be that he's the he now he's the most visible figure within that faction to our base. Mm-hmm. And when they don't stand up and they oh shucks, they're just a couple of we haven't we, we've done this all our lives. Right? We have done this okay, all our all right. lives. Yep. And so, you know, he got he, he got to Ted got to rise to fame in that environment eight years ago, but he was the fresh face. I think it's harder to go back to people. And say, yeah, I've been in there. This is my second term, but I still can't get anything done. Um, and 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 meanwhile, you've got Ron DeSantis in Florida. He's going to stand up at these same debates, and say, we already did all this stuff. Yeah, all the stuff they tell you they can't do in Washington. We just did it all in Florida. All right, we told the NCAA last week to go intercourse itself. We're we're not letting guys compete against girls. We're, we're not doing that. I just I told all the local locales they can't do mask mandates anymore. He's doing that today, right? As we mm-hmm. speak right now, as a matter of fact. Meaning that Ron's gonna say, I did all this stuff and I did it in a major state, all right, with everybody against me and 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 I I moved the party. I moved it to where I wanted it to go. I told them, put the trans bill on my desk. I told Broward County and Miami-Dade, they're not masking kids at schools anymore. I did all this stuff that you guys in Washington just talk about. And I wonder, where does Ted navigate that conundrum? Because he's in a no man's land where he's the most popular, visible, conservative figure uh, in the in the in a, in a in what would be a majority Republican Senate this time next year, but he can't do anything that Mitch McConnell doesn't want him to do at the same
3: time. Well, well, you just cited as his Achilles heel. And again, in full disclaimer, uh, not only are you a buddy to Ted Cruz, uh, I was his national co-chairman of his campaign, but he also understands that 2016 is not 2024. So I don't have that endorsement allegiance to him right now. My job is to keep a fair and level playing field. That said. That's why governors many times end mm-hmm. up being the nominee. And we why? didn't have a governor like this before. Right. So yeah. DeSantis can point this out. Matter of fact, I talked to you over the weekend about Laura Ingram. I know we probably shouldn't mention other shows, but oh, that's she all had, right. I think had, my audience is aware, Laura Ingram yeah, has another yeah. show. Yeah. She, she had four or five governors on about the red state governors. Including the, our own, the, I believe. The red wave governors. Yeah. And I'm telling you what, the amount of feedback we got for Governor Reynolds, the state of Iowa, Governor DeSantis, I had people telling me, why isn't Reynolds running for president of the United States? So the thing of it is, is that those governors have a platform that Ted is not going to have, and you complicate it with, it's only human nature to say, I want a fresh face. I, I want to see who else is out there. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to have to navigate that now if DeSantis fails or falls, like say a Scott Walker did. I think that, sh- that changes things, yeah, obviously. Then all of a sudden yeah. you have, he's a consistent, steady voice, high name ID High favorability ratings.
1: You guys want to have a quick thought on this conversation that uh, this, that Bob and I are having about Ted?
0: With that being said, let me, does it make sense to go all in and challenge for leadership in the Republican See,
1: Party? See, I would argue the answer to that is yes. In fact, even if you, even if you lose you can go you can then go to your base and say I did try to challenge these people you're right yeah everything you say about him is correct that's why I did challenge them yeah. okay and and we found out that in the end you're what you think of Republicans most of them preferred Mitch McConnell's style of leadership and so the only way I can think of yes. to Trump Mitch McConnell is to get the bigger the big chair the big job ahead of him where I'm now running the show and don't have to and don't have to have uh, be subjected to leadership is like that,
0: that way you elevate yourself if either way in some way shape or form but You can't take on DeSantis head on. That's a suicide mission and no good for you or
3: the party in general. And Todd, well, you just mentioned that's a preemptive strike. Yeah. Uh, Basically saying, listen, you guys didn't get it done before. You haven't been good in the minority. Let me take the reins. So what he's saying is that they haven't led. I'm willing to lead. Correct. And so if he doesn't get to be the majority leader, you know, he now has a case to make as he runs for president. The part
1: about his candidacy where we were weak against Trump and yeah, I mean, you and I were told this privately by a high-ranking member of the campaign. I won't disclose their name. the The personality stuff is not our candidate's strong suit, right? <laughs> all right, and so in a world where sound bites and th- you do have to have a certain troll level, and mm-hmm. it just that's the way we communicate today. Yeah, all right he has improved immeasurably with that stuff in the last few years. He's actually gotten objectively good at it in his own way. I think he kind of felt it was intellectually beneath him for a while. And now, you know, I mean, just the little things um, about uh, um, uh, this morning, uh, Kamala Harris had an announcement that, Uh, she's going to do something involving, I don't know, space exploration or something. And of course, she still hasn't visited the border she's in charge of. And he pounced on her right away. Well, you know, she has been known to look the other way during an invasion of aliens. Okay, (laughs) I mean, those are the sorts of things that he wasn't good at a few years ago that he's good at now. He's actually more, I think, prepared for this kind of
3: media and personality environment than he was eight years ago. And to go to that point, Steve, when I was at his home in Houston on uh, Thursday night, I think he laughed at every one of my jokes. So uh, (laughs) he's better today. (laughs) He would not have done that eight years ago. He just looked at you. I don't get The flip side, really quick, if
0: he does challenge for leadership, does he risk if a DeSantis wins the presidency? Does he put himself in jeopardy of becoming, even if he doesn't take DeSantis head on, VP, Secretary of State, potential Supreme Court, does he jeopardize that by being too aggressive?
3: Uh, I don't think so. I think, first of all, if uh, DeSantis gets to become president and Ted Cruz is still U.S. senator, I think who DeSantis wants, DeSantis is going to get, mm-hmm. regardless of who's leading that that Senate.
1: Good stuff, Bob. Appreciate it, as always. Thank you very much. All right, God bless. Same to you. Uh, hey, if you want to find out, how can you raise your credit score up to 60 points in three weeks or less? Check out our friends over at Scoremaster. They put your credit data in your hands where it belongs. The stuff that the banks have on you, you should know about yourself. You ever tried to read your credit report by the way in the past it's I mean, you need a rosetta stone uh, for that for that thing, and they make the information applicable to you so you know exactly why you've got the score you have. And then they go next level, how exactly you can get to the score you want. whether if, if, Even if you can get approved for the business loan, the mortgage, uh, the car loan that you want. Improving your credit score can greatly enhance the terms uh, and the repayment terms uh, as well. So find out right now where you're at and where you can go with your finances, your credit. Enroll in minutes. See how many plus points ScoreMaster can add to your credit score right now. When you go to scoremaster.com slash steve. Again, that's scoremaster.com slash Steve. We'll come back. Ask Me Anything is next for Hour 2. Stay tuned. We're back with Hour 2 live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and all of you. Realized I forgot to do this at the top of the show. Let us know what you think about what we think. You can email the program, Steve at stevedace.com That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Also check us out. Look for Steve Dace on me We Gab and Parlor if you prefer free speech. If, however, you're more in favor of censorship, go to youtube.com slash Steve Dace. Get tons of censorship there. And then rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. And then finally, if you are a podcast listener, thank you very much. Please show your appreciation for the program. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review. Thank you to all of you that have done those things for the program already. And thanks again to all of you. I just got an alert from Amazon. We remain number one uh, on Amazon uh, in uh, our main category, political commentary. Thank you very much. We got, uh, we still, we hit way high again on Amazon's overall list over this past weekend. So I want to thank uh, the people over at, is it Epic or Epoch? I've been told it's both. I've heard it most the epic
2: Times. Okay, all
1: right. yeah. And then uh, Charlie Kirk as well. Uh, and then uh, and Eric Metaxas. After those three appearances, uh, those certainly gave us uh, an, another uh, bit of a boost in rocket fuel for our book, Fauci and Bargain. So thank you very much to all of you that have purchased one or multiple copies. I heard a ton of positive feedback about our book this weekend at the conference in South Dakota I was at. So thanks to all of you. We've gotten thousands now of five-star reviews at Amazon.com. I, we just... We cannot thank you enough for the success of this book. All right, let's get to our Monday Town Hall, Ask Me Anything edition from our followers over on Facebook, brought to you by Freedom Project Academy. uh, Before the pandemic, About 3% of American households did some form of at-home instruction. Now there are estimates that number could more than triple to 11%. As more and more families realize, you know what, we can do this at home after they were forced to uh, over the last year. And we can also have more of a say in the curriculum our kids are getting subjected to as well. If you're looking for that option... I can personally attest to the success of Freedom Project Academy. Our son Noah did this for several years, uh, so I've seen it up close and personal. I know the people who have founded this uh, school as well. Uh, it has perfected online learning for more than a de- decade. It's built on Judeo-Christian values with a classical curriculum, meaning it is... Education, the way the people that formed and founded this country were educated, uh, dedicated to providing mastery of subject matter, not propaganda, creating critical thinkers, teaching kids how to think, not what to think. If you want to get more information, get a free information packet today. You know, there's a reason the average high school graduate right now is entering college reading at a seventh grade level. Don't let that happen to your kid. Freedomforschool.com is where you can go and get a free information packet to see if Freedom Project Academy might be a good fit for your family. Freedomforschool.com. Again, that's freedomforschool.com. All right, so you know the drill when we do an Ask Me Anything. I've not seen any of these questions at all. Todd, you have personally selected these questions,
2: and then Aaron, you fire when ready. We will begin with Josh Michael Sodders, who says why all of a sudden have we started to ignore natural immunity as a society? What we're being told every day is that the only way out of this pandemic is through taking the vaccine. I even have peers of mine telling me unless everyone takes the vaccine, we'll never reach herd immunity. The same people preaching trust the science are the same ones blatantly ignoring science when it comes to natural immunity. So there's, there's two
1: answers to your question. Well, I, I, there are three. Three answers to your question. Um, they're all bad. It's, they're all degrees of bad. One would be just ignorance. What with, with the average person does and doesn't know about science, for example. And were we testing high amongst industrialized nations and in standardized science testing um, uh, 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 competitions worldwide prior to COVID?
0: Generally speaking, no. No,
1: we were doing terribly. We were doing terribly. So, ignorance is one thing. Like, you know, last year, when Scott Atlas was on the task force in the White House, herd immunity was uh, junk science. And now, it's, now the New York Times is writing today about we're not going to reach herd immunity. What, why do we care to reach something that was junk science just a year ago? okay so that's the point of a vaccination program as we've been telling you on this program for over a year the point of a vaccination program is to get a community to herd immunity faster that's the point of a vaccination program so one's ignorance Uh, that would be one answer Josh is ignorance just ignorance of science and ignorance of a lot of things that are fundamental to existence the the other uh, is a, a a large segment of the population belongs to what our friend Alex Berenson former New York Times reporter refers to as the vaccine church and and therefore um the only kind of immunity is the kind that comes from Uh, some jab from Big Pharma with a long disclaimer on it. For example, you're hearing a lot about the surge in India right now and people are saying, well, I guess the ivermectin didn't work. Ivermectin is not a vaccine. It's a prophylaxis. Ivermectin does not stop you from getting COVID-19. Did we claim that's what it did? No. No, it's a prophylaxis. Meaning, when I put a condom on, does it prevent me from having sex? No. Does it prevent certain outcomes of a sexual encounter? Usually, yes. Yes, that's a prophylaxis. Ivermectin doesn't stop you from getting it. By the way, I looked this morning. India ranks 116th out of, a, out of 222 po- possible nations and deaths per 1 million for COVID-19 as of this morning. Sunday was the worst day for deaths that India has recorded yet for COVID-19. 3,880 deaths. Our worst day ever was actually in mid-January. So I guess we, do we get to blame Biden for that? Is that the way it works?
0: I'm fine with that.
1: Okay. Uh, It was 4,490. That was our worst day of deaths ever in the history of this pandemic. It was in mid-January of this year. India has four times more people than we do. Four times more people. And they have not had a total death day greater than ours yet. They have a caste system. Meaning there are millions and millions of people that the average Indian doesn't believe is worthy of their care. They're subhuman. They don't begin in that culture from the premise of an Imago day made in the image of God. They don't start there. Someone told me, well, India doesn't test. India is the number two testing nation in the world. It's the only other nation in the world ahead of us. Other than us, we're way ahead of them. There's only two nations in this world that have done more than 200 million coronavirus tests. We're number one. We're over 440 million tests we've done. We only have 330 million people, folks. That means some of y'all have gotten tested twice. Please, please tell me I have it. All right, India is approaching 200 million tests or 300 million tests, I should say. They're like 290 something. Number three, China. Only 160 million tests out of over a billion people. So for warning the world about this thing, they weren't really all that interested in finding out how many of their own people had the damn virus, were they? No. No. So India has one of the lowest death rates its worst death day ever was Sunday. It still isn't anywhere near our worst death day ever, despite having four times the people we do and a caste system where like people get like turned away from like basic human functions and care because they've been reincarnated and deserve this. And they're the second highest testing nation in the world. And yet they rank 116th out of 222 total nations in the world and deaths per 1 million. I don't know. I think that's kind of showing the prophylaxis works to me. What do you think? I'm buying. I think that kind of shows the prophylaxis works. But a lot of people in America and a lot of, you know, my mom was the head nurse at a at a clinic in Grand Rapids, Michigan when I was growing up. And I used to go into that clinic all the time when I was a kid. Used to work there in the summertime, even. Working medical records and stuff like that for a summertime job. The amount of pharmaceutical reps, the amount of meetings, the amount of free things. This was in the 80s and early 90s. I can't even imagine what it is today. That's essentially whatever comes from those pharma reps is the treatment for basically everything. Nothing... Nothing else outside of that can be considered. That's just the water table. So I think a lot of people just don't even know, that, which kind of lends it to the first option, Josh, what a natural immunity is. Like I think there's a lot of people that don't understand if they've already had something, they're naturally immune to it. I don't, I don't think they understand that. And let me present as evidence... There's 330 million Americans and we're the only nation on earth that has conducted more than 400 million COVID tests. How many people do you think already had it and went back and got tested again when they got a sniffle or a cough or a chest cold? I must have gotten it again, right? Yes. So I think you've got, that's a second factor. The third factor Is the most sinister one. Nobody makes any money off natural immunity, so it doesn't matter. Nobody makes any money off a malaria pill that costs ten cents to to make and distribute. Ivermectin won the Nobel Prize in 2015. 2015, 2015, you want to get people to benefit it out. Hydroxychloroquine has been around since the fifties, whatever. I don't, I don't, but okay. This thing won the Nobel prize in 2015. It might as well be called hydroxychloroquine. So I think those are your three factors. Number one, there's no money to be made off of natural immunity. Number two, I think a lot of people belong to, again, the vaccine church. And and I only say this because it's my position. I'm not anti-vaccination. But there's only one God, ma'am, and he doesn't dress like that. I just don't belong to any of your pagan churches. I don't belong to any of that. I stood up and told this audience I spoke at last weekend when I got asked about the vaccine. I don't know. We sit here like a year from now and the results are great and I don't see a long list of side effects. I wouldn't rule out that I would get it. But since I don't belong to the vaccine church, I'm not, I'm not, your, I'm not your huckleberry. I'm not your human trial. I'm not showing up to get in line for you to try your new moon dance out on me. I want to see that your rain dance actually causes rain first. Is that fair? Yes. I want to see your rain dance. Make it rain. If you can make it rain, then we'll talk. I might. I might okay. Oh, yeah. You need a partner and you made it rain. I'm impressed, but I'm going to need to see you make it rain. I'm not just going to go with what you claim to be the case. Next question. That's a great question, by the way.
2: We'll move on to Reed Bartlett, who asks As a Christian, I know God loves and instructs us to love everyone, and all human life is sacred. I'm not supposed to value one life over my own, but how do I square that my life is as valuable as a pedophile or a murderer or rapist? I know we are all sinners, but this one really stumps me.
1: I think you're looking at it wrong. Your, in fact, your, your dilemma is answered in the way God himself applies justice. Meaning, when, when God revealed his law through Moses, several of the things that you mentioned there were automatic grounds for execution. Now, I'm guessing, it's Reed, right? Yep. Reed, I'm guessing you would not claim to love people more than God. I'm guessing. that I think that's fair, right? Sure. Okay. And even if you made that claim, you couldn't back it up because he sent his son to die for people. And I don't believe you've offered up your son as a sacrificial lamb for the sins of of others. I, I don't believe. So even if you were to have made that claim, you couldn't back it up and God already has. And yet, within that framework, God provides for those that engage in the activities that you just described to be executed for those activities, because they have violated the very sanctity of life that he has such high esteem himself for. So, I I, I don't understand your dilemma, because God has already preemptively answered your challenge. The sanctity of of life is so high that he sent his son to die for others, including people who are heinous sinners. All of us are. But then at the other end of the spectrum, God allows sinners to execute other people for their sins because those particular sins are in direct violation of the highest principle, life. So I, I think God's actually answered your challenge. Already if you you have to you know, there's a question that they ask in seminaries read is God imminent or transcendent? The answer is yes. Meaning that he is transcendent above and over all of us. But he is imminent in that he's one prayer away. He's one request for life change away. He's one invitation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's one door opening away. He's imminent at the same time. I think what you might be guilty of here, Reed, is seeing God only transcendently. If you only see God transcendently, then I can understand why this would be difficult and be and would stump you. But in the imminent, in the right now, God says, you may execute those who violate the sanctity of life right now. And then I will deal with their, them and their souls in eternity. But in this life right now, you may execute them for it. According to my law, you may. And that's coming from the being that sent his own son on our behalf to die for our sins. So, don't just look at God as transcendent, but also imminent. Because he also revealed for us a natural law. Something we don't have to wait into past death or eternity or an age to come or a kingdom to come for some form of fulfillment. But we are given permission as the highest beings in creation made, the only beings in creation made in his image, we are given permission to execute, pardon the pun, to execute that natural law imminent right now. That, that's the whole point of human government, actually, to bring the sword of righteousness against the evildoer. And one way that it does it is it, ex- it says to execute. God says execute people who do these things. So I think if you see God as both imminent and transcendent, then that will, that, will, that, will, that will answer your dilemma. Guys, have any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I would say it's very dangerous to confuse the earthly consequences of sin with the eternal consequences of sin, which, apart from the saving uh, grace provided to us through God's Son, would damn us all to the same fate eternally as the murderer, the rapist. Earthly, though, as you just articulated, though, there are cons- different consequences for different sins. Do I deserve to be put to death? Do I deserve to be put to death for stealing a, a, a pen from Steve? That was his property. I stole it from him. I'm unrepentant. Do I de- deserve, earthly, to be put to death for that? No. There's a consequence. I might lose my job. I might get reprimanded by Steve. Um, there are different earthly consequences for different types of earthly uh, sins. We are all guilty uh, before a righteous and holy God for any sin eternally, apart from the saving grace of, of Jesus Christ. And I would I would also turn it around as well. For the victims or a victim of any of the capital offenses that you just mentioned as well, um, are you are are you being loving or more loving to uh to them by not seeking justice for them? Where are they in this as well? So it's important not to it's important not to confuse earthly consequences of sin with eternal consequences for sin. Todd, do you have anything to add?
0: No, let's keep rolling. I'm the one who picked the questions and I know we got a lot of good ones, so no, I think you guys nailed it.
2: Up next, Tiny Johnny asks, We say revival or bust, but when the church had the chance to preach the gospel in an opportune time, like maybe during a pandemic, most of our brothers and sisters thought it would be best to be like the world and preach not the gospel, but the moralism of works righteousness, i.e. masking, lockdown, social distancing, etc. So in the end, we have no real revival and a self-imposed bust. Is this premise correct? And if it is, what do you think God will do to fix his church? Um, I think it, your premise
1: is correct, but is not as as applicable or or, or encompassing as you think. And, I, and in many respects, you're asking the inverse of the previous question. so if the if the previous questioner, I think, left out part of his moral math, the imminence of God, and only considered him as a transcendent being, I think you're only viewing the church or, or, or God's relationship to the church through imminence and ignoring transcendence. Meaning that just because the church on an institutional level, as we have known it in our country, failed at, during this time doesn't have anything to do with whether God's word returns void to him or not. It doesn't. I had a lunch once with an old friend of mine who pastors one of the largest churches in our state. And we were going back and forth. This was several years ago when I was still a local host. And we were going back and forth about how how blunt or confrontational to be with the culture. And he thought that at times I was too confrontational. And I thought at times that he was not. And through this conversation, we got to be good buddies. We'd often have lunches together and just kind of go back and forth, let iron sharpen iron. He made me rethink some ways where maybe I, I could be the softer side of Sears. And hopefully maybe I made him rethink some ways where he could bring a serrated edge more often. But during one of these conversations, he said to me, "Um, we have a way of, 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 of saving people at our church. And if we fail at that, the, you know what, what happens to our community? And I looked at him and I said, see, that's, now, we're, now we're where the rubber meets the road. This isn't really about temperament, that you're nicer than me or I'm meaner than you. It's not really about that. It's about the fact that, first of all, I'm on a larger platform than you, I told him. As big as your church is, it's nothing compared to WHO. And unlike you, I'm not tax deductible. I have to sell commercials. For profit companies have to buy time for me to get paid. So it doesn't really matter how orthodox and righteous my message is. If it doesn't draw a broad enough audience, I'm out of a job. In some respects, my calling's harder than yours. But I begin from the premise that if I blow this thing, If I do something stupid in my personal life, stupid on the air, blow this thing. Not one more person will go to heaven or hell because I wasn't on the air on WHO today. Not one more person will do it. You start from the premise that if you blow this thing, one more person may go to heaven or hell depending on the fact that your church implodes. That God can't do this without you. That's the difference. And so that's why you're constantly making accommodations to the culture. Because you're trying to figure out how much truth really will they let me tell them. I'm not saying we don't ever consider that. There's certain places, be, but I'm in a commercial venue. I'm, if I was a pastor of a church, we barely have that conversation now, and we work in a for-profit entity. If, if we were a church, and you guys were my elders, knowing what you know of me, how often do you think we'd have this conversation then?
0: Yeah, not
1: Whatever's less than never, because we almost have it never now. It's not, it, it hasn't been never. There are a few times we have sit around and said, can we go there? Given the environment we're in, we have commercial interests. We're in business with other people, not in ministry with other people. We're in business with, now our call is a ministry, we believe ultimately, but we're aligned with people that have business interests with us that we, and we told them our yes is our yes, our no is our no. We will meet those obligations. So, so every now and then, it's very rare, but every now and then we will game plan those things out. How far do we think we can take this? without violating the other interests that are at stake in what we do here for this show every day. I don't know why a ministry would ever do that. You don't have any of those challenges. Well, we'll lose this donor. Well, you don't think you don't think God can send you another donor? Then in the end, you're beginning from a you're it's I told him it's ironic. I I'm the one that's got to sell commercials. But yet you're the one that begins from the premise of how much truth can I tell people to get them to give me a tax-deductible donation? I need people to take money out of their pocket. They will not get back and give it to me. That's a lot different. And so, institutionally, Tiny Johnny, the church may be, by and large, there are exceptions, of course, but institutionally, the church failed this era. That's inarguable. But let me tell you what I see in my email. I could sit here pretty much every day and just answer theological emails every single day. Every single day. The amount of these we get from people. Now, who am I? I'm not a pastor. I'm not a priest. I've made a million mistakes. I've not been perfectly pure in my personal life. Told you before, this time last year, my own marriage was struggling. So it's 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 not like I'm some hero. All we did on our show is we showed up. That's all we did. We took despite our brokenness, whatever issues, Todd and Aaron deal with in their lives. God asked us to show up so we did. We said, "Here we are. Here we are, Lord, send us." We showed up. and And the amount of I was just at a conference with other people. they stepped into the breach. people from thirty eight states went to Rapid City, South Dakota over the weekend thirty eight states at where I spoke so if a few minutes ago I said, do not forsake god's transcendence in exchange for his imminence. Do not assume that because in the imminent the things that you are used to being tangible, while I'm used to seeing God work this way, do not therefore reject his transcendence. For as Luther said, um, he, he can talk out of the backside of an ass if he wants. And he did. Balaam's donkey. Transcendence, and from the transcendent perspective, I see lots of evidence of God working. Dude, I, I I read Naomi Wolf over the weekend. Tweet out, this is the feminist author now. Tweet out over the weekend that people were praying psalms for her, and she appreciated it. Oh no, 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 no. Imminently, I would agree. The church has failed this city. I would agree, it has. But transcendently, I see lots of evidence of God at work. And if, on an institutional level, they don't the the institutions don't want to do what they're supposed to do, God just raises up new institutions. Any thoughts on that?
0: And thank God for that. Because Amen. Otherwise, yikes!
1: These are good questions so far. Another, you picked some good ones. ones. You might
0: want to speed round this thing a little bit because uh, there's quite a few more.
1: I will speed round this thing a little bit then when we come back. As much as I am capable of speed rounding this thing, I'll give it my best shot when we come back. Stay tuned. (laughs) We've got so many... Big, major, no longer American, but global corporations wanting to meddle in disrupting our American values and way of life, which is why when you've got a chance to do business with somebody who aligns with your values, take full advantage of it. Like with Patriot Mobile, for example, Uh, they're America's only conservative mobile phone provider. And when you switch today and bring your own phone, you get 50% off your first two months plus a free Patriot starter kit. While you're there, go to PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. to get more details. Take advantage of this great offer while you're there. Enter to win a free phone and sell service for life. That would be nice. A free phone with sell service for life. All the details are there right there on my page. PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. They've got the same towers as all the major providers, and yet they've got plans that fit any budget, including multi-line discounts they never charge you hidden fees or donate to the causes trying to end your way of life. So, if you want to take advantage of this special offer, 50% off your first 2 months plus a free Patriot starter kit when you make the switch and enter to win a free phone and cell service for life, patriotmobile.com/steve again, go to patriotmobile.com/steve or enter by calling 972 patriot. That's 9 9-
2: 7-2-PATRIOT. All right, back to Ask Me Anything. Bill Johnson asks, please have Steve discuss his thoughts on the following. Couldn't Christians who work in public schools create their own private schools and do fundraising to cover the costs for students, families that can't afford to pay twice for their child's education, property taxes, etc. for the schools their children would be in, plus private school tuition, if you get enough students, couldn't you keep the fees in the daycare range? If you set, uh, set it up correctly, you could set it up in a way that parents are able to get uh, tax deductions, assuming libs don't mess that up, for sending them to the new schools. Thoughts?
1: It's a great idea, but I think there's actually a more fundamental basic idea that is simple but not easy that would change radically the government education paradigm in America and quickly. It wouldn't be immediate, but quick. The story of where the gladiator games ended in Rome, a monk named Telemachus attended a gladiator game and was incensed at the brutal violence he was watching at what was supposedly an increasingly Christianizing Rome. So he stood up to protest. They stoned him to death. However, the savagery of his stoning So appalled the rest of the Roman people that were not at that event, that soon thereafter the Gladiator Games were gone, never to return. What's that have to do with this conversation? You don't have to create a new structure. You really don't. The Christians in the government schools all have to stand up and say, the ones that are teaching, we're not teaching this crap anymore. We're not doing it. Fire us all and make them do it. They don't have the balls to do it. Oh, if you, if you the one life science teacher that doesn't want to teach Darwinism anymore, they can fire you. They're going to fire twenty thousand teachers. See, we don't do stuff like that. And so let's trip the light fantastic. Let's let's what do you call it? Dancing the, on the head of a pin or whatever. Tell how many
0: angels yeah. dance on the head? Yeah. of a yeah. Come
1: phone. up with some new uh, quadratic equation. Now uh, the, the Christian teachers in the schools used to just need to stand up and say, we're just not doing this anymore. Some of you will lose your jobs. Yeah. But when they realize they have to fire all of you, eventually the system will give because that's what systems do when they're forced and faced with this level of pushback. But we don't offer that level of pushback. No one's willing to lose their job. And so the scam continues. And we just, And then we'll just take our total depravity and sinfulness into the new system with us. But ultimately, the Christian teachers in the government schools could end this quickly, a lot quicker than you set up that structure you just articulated. We're not teaching this stuff anymore; not doing it. And I've got my camera phone on. I'm going to make everybody watch as you wheel me out of here and fire me from my job. And I'm going to make I'm going to put twenty thousand of these videos out there for everybody to watch. But we don't do that.
2: Hell, we won't put five videos out there like that. Up next, Elliot Evans asks, In your opinion, what role does human free will play in our ultimate salvation? If none, then how can we be justly held accountable for our sins if our fate has been predetermined and is completely out of our control?
1: You said you wanted me to do this lightning round? (laughs)
3: Just, that's that's like
1: a three hour show. That's this, good questions. This question is the show just ran out of gas. By okay. the way, <laughs> nice. Okay. Um, a lot of people think that, and this does not mean to say I am arguing for no role for free will in salvation. But the argument you're making for it isn't against it isn't a good one, in my opinion. Because the Bible answers that question. Sin came through one Adam. Salvation came through another. Adam is made in the image of God. He is given dominion over the creation, correct? Yes. Adam is told, you have dominion. You name animals. You procreate. You have power not given to the angels. You are my vicar. You rule in my place, God says to Adam. And so... When Adam fell, what happened to all of humanity? Since he was the firstborn of creation, what happened? We all fall, right? That's the first Adam. Then the second Adam comes, Jesus arrives. And through him, all now can, through him, through through a second Adam, you can be saved. As to the first Adam, we were fallen, right? Yes. Since we all enter into the world into a fallen state, the idea that you are not responsible for your actions, um... Just that doesn't apply to the situation that you're articulating. Now, that doesn't mean you're wrong. Your theology is wrong or your soteriology is wrong, but your reasons for it, I believe, are wrong. I don't think it goes against the character of God at all to predetermine to the very end people's salvation. He doesn't have to save anyone. We're fortunate that anybody gets saved. If we're all sinners, if we're all sinners, which one of us, let me put it to you this way. If we're all sinners, which one of us has the integrity, therefore, to make a claim against God's justness? Who? If no. we're all sinners? None. None do. You're actually making an argument for the viewpoint you're against. <laughs> okay? If we're, if we're all sinners, no one has any state to make any claim against God. I think you're actually making a very strong argument in favor of predestination, actually. None of us has a claim against God. All of us are sinners. And your complaint is that only a few people get saved? Well, by your own articulation, that's a few more people than deserve to be saved, right? Because yes. how many deserve it?
0: No.
1: The answer is zero. So we all agree. So we all agree we're all sinners. We all agree no one has a claim against the character of God because of number one, right? Right. And therefore, one plus one equals two. We get to the end of the math. And therefore, by extension, we all agree no one deserves to be saved. Right? Yes. So we're all sinners. So stipulated? Yeah. No one has, therefore, because we're sinners, no one has a claim against the character of God, right? Right. That's number two, which leads us to point number three here. Therefore, no one deserves to be saved. Right? Correct. And so the argument against the justness of God is that some people, despite those three things that we just assented to, the claim against predestination is that only some people will get saved. Didn't we just articulate no one deserves it? Right. Right? So I, I don't think you made a good argument against it. That's not to say I'm making the argument for it. I'm just saying I think you need to make a better argument against it. I could make a better argument against it. I'm just not going to right now because Todd wants me to do a lightning round. So I'm going to stick with that answer for now.
2: We'll move on to Ashley Hazlett Grimado, who says, Are the suffragists, with their nearly universal rejection of Christianity, and in many cases marriage, responsible for kicking off the progressive era? In other very dicey words, is the women's rights movement to vote the cause of all this madness?
0: That's a woman asking that, which yeah. is why yes. I'm fascinated.
1: Um, no, it would be my answer, and I don't feel any need to um, genuflect or um, um, pander in any way, shape, or form. That doesn't mean some of the inclinations behind the women's suffrage movement w- were not spirit of the agey. What was what was the woman's name? Ashley. Ashley. That doesn't mean there weren't some spirit of the agey uh, articulations behind or inclinations behind the women's suffrage movement at that time. Now, I would also argue that those folks that had spirit of the age inclinations for the late 19th century, I think universally would be appalled at what has become of it in the early 21st century. They would not they would say that's not what we're talking about or what we're signing up for here. Now that doesn't mean that they weren't any less responsible in helping to set the stage for it. But I think if you want to go to one line of demarcation in America, the passage of the 16th amendment is it. And the reason why is because I can have all the spirit of the AG notions I want without an income tax where I can force you to subsidize it, the odds that I'm going to go out there in the free market. What was the vote? Now, this was a district that, that Trump won by four points in the Dallas suburbs, right? Just last year. Won this district by four points in the Dallas suburbs. They just did a vote with critical race theory on the ballot. They got, it went 70%? All right. Okay. Could you get... If you can't get that subsidized in Dallas, Texas... If you can't get voters to uh, to say, when it's on the ballot, on a market, and I get to choose it, if I can't get that to get, get to go down in Dallas, Texas, how many places in America can I really get it to go down? Manhattan? San Francisco? Like, seven, right? Okay. Seven, eight, nine, ten locations. The vast majority of America isn't going to go for that, regardless of what they think about Donald Trump. Right. And so... The 16th Amendment provided the impetus for all for the spirit of the age to force you to subsidize these things, to keep them going into perpetuity long before and after a market force would say, yeah, you know, there's a real demand for that. Let's give, let's give the people what they want. So I would actually put the line of demarcation for America there because it allowed the weaponization of our dandable
2: doctrines. We can now weaponize them with tax dollars. Tara Ferguson is next, who asks, isn't this defund the police movement really a movement to nationalize our police? How do we get people to see through these Trojan horse scenarios? I think I, I've gotten this notion a lot, and I really believe you folks are
1: thinking this through. That may be the outcome of this, but I think you're thinking it through more than the people behind it are. I, 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 it's just anarchy. Meaning that Your mental math may be correct. Right? I mean, just last summer, we were even saying we wanted Trump to do what in Seattle? Send Send in the the guard. guard. Yeah. You got nine city blocks proclaiming themselves a foreign country. Treat them like a foreign invader, right? So Farah, Farah, that may be the end result of this. But I think you have thought it through more than the nihilistic impulses driving it. I just think it's nihilistic anger, nihilistic resentment. So I I think that might be the end result of this, but I don't think it's a four. I don't think we're playing four dimensional. There's no four dimensional chess here. Trump didn't have some secret plan to come back and win the election. And I don't think there's four dimensional chess here. I just think there's nihilistic ranting and raving. For example, the mob outside of Lot's house—did they know they were setting the stage for their own smiting? Did they know this?
0: Uh, probably. No,
1: no, they did not. Was that the end result of their nihilistically
0: the as one? No, no, of no. course not. No,
1: but did, did they set the stage for their own smiting?
0: Absolutely. Yes.
1: Was that their intent to do that? No. No, but I don't think there's any higher intent here other than nihilistic, stark raving anger. And that that I can raise money off of. Nothing more. This, this, this isn't the Black Panthers, guys. They were better at this. They actually reinvested in communities, built schools. Oh, they were all communist thugs, but they actually believed like some of the stuff they were talking about. They believed some of the stupidity. This is just nihilistic raving.
2: One more, Joel Venier says or asks, Who had the best draft and why?
1: I think you just have to look at that in a few years and ask yourself that question. There's no way to know right now. I think I think, I think think lots of teams had really good drafts. Um, I mean, there's one team I know right now, I can say right now, had a good draft. And that's the Jacksonville Jaguars because they got the best player at the most important position. And provided he stays healthy, the worst he's going to be is a Jared Goff kind of player. That's the worst he'll be. That guy was in the Super Bowl a few years ago. They might have just found the next Andrew Luck. So, I can say right now, they are definitively a better football team than they were before the draft began. I don't know how many other teams we can say that about until we see how well those staffs can incorporate those players and develop them. All right, in the chaos of 2021, every law-abiding citizen needs to know how to defend your family before, during, and after a self-defense incident were to happen uh that's why you want to check out patriot academy's constitutional defense course it is hosted by front site firearms training institute out there in nevada just outside of vegas uh this is the course you've heard our colleague daniel horowitz uh, talking about he's taken it a couple of times and right now you can get uh 16 hours of firearm training on the rage but also eight hours of intellectual training about the Constitution in the classroom. They've got classes for May 30th and June 6th registering right now. You can get 90% off of that training. 90% off. You're going to be amazed not just how much you're going to learn physically about operating firearms, but intellectually about the Constitution and liberty as well. 90% off the training. Of course, you've got to take care of your travel and accommodations, but they are practically giving the training away right now. If you go to constitutioncoach.com, Again, that's constitutioncoach.com. And yes, you can take the entire family if you would like. Constitutioncoach.com. Register today. Get 90% off the training at constitutioncoach.com. We are going to stick around and tape the overtime here for our Blaze TV subscribers at blazetv.com slash dace. That's blazetv.com slash dace. And that's where you can go to watch this later today or subscribe so that you can watch it later today at BlazeTV.com slash Jace. We'll give our thoughts on those polling numbers from our Twitter following about, do they want Trump round three or someone new in 2024? We'll get into that in the overtime. And for everyone else, we will see you again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317.